All right, here we go. Good morning. Let me just wipe off my glasses real quick, and then we are going to be on our way back up in Exodus. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus 24. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and and turn there. Um, Eventually, we're going to get to the end of this, right? Uh, but if you've missed anything, we, we're going to have it all available on our website in some kind of audio format to listen to. Um, you know, there's just so many people today that just don't know the Bible. It's the reason we spend a great deal of time teaching on the different books in the Bible. And I, I want you to, know, to, to really know the Lord. I, I want you to not just know His character, which can be accomplished through topical preaching, but I want you to know more than that. I want you to know his story, his his travels, really just the fullness of his pursuit of us. And so we we teach the Bible in context here in, in the hopes that we may grasp something deeper and really where few really travel. Amen. All right, so hopefully you have your Bibles, right? You've got your turn to Exodus 24. There's going to be, there's 40 chapters in this book, which means we're on the downhill slide. It's been good, too. Lots of crazy supernatural events, interesting stuff. At this point, Moses has, has already delivered the children of Israel of Egypt. The plagues have already happened. However, their time in the wilderness has begun. It's most likely the hardest part of the journey, and this is where they have to learn you know, what it's, what it's like to be free after having spent 400 years in slavery. Uh, it wasn't an easy transition. Still, here we are. It's chapter 24, and it's time for God to speak once more. It's time for something, you know, familiar once more. This time God calls Moses back up to the mountain uh, to, a, to a, like a personal time between themselves, right? Exodus 24, verse 1. Say amen if you're there. Awesome. Good job. Verse 1 through 3. Then the Lord instructed Moses, Come up here to me, and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and seventy of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. Let's, let's, let's just stop right here and let's pray real quick. Father, I ask that you would use your word this morning as a light to our path. God, that you would use your word to grow us and mature us, to make better disciples, better citizens of your kingdom, God. And it's your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So there's a there's a couple of things we should take notice here, right? There's, there's this distancing between the children of Israel and Moses. They must worship for, from afar while Moses is allowed to come near. And we've talked about the spiritual position of Moses and how unique it is. It's, it's the perfect image of the pre-incarnate Christ, the mediator between man and God. In Moses, we can see Jesus, right? The one who goes before the Father and makes intercession. According to Paul in Romans 8.34, Jesus is sitting next to the Father. And these are Paul's words, pleading for us. So Moses has consecrated himself. He's chosen to live a holy life, which means his life is set apart, right? It's, it sounds strange, it's, and it kind of is, right? Because it's what's missing today in our Christian walk, in our Christianity. It, it isn't that the Bible doesn't talk about it or teach or preach about it, because it does. But for 
some reason, we just don't preach on it enough, and, and we've somehow used the grace of God now as an excuse to live however we want, which also isn't biblical at all. Also, like Christ, Moses receives instructions from the Father and passes on what the Father has instructed. God says, don't come near, so Moses relays, right? It's pretty simple. Jesus described it in John twelve forty nine this way. He said, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Do you, do you, do you see the similarities, right? It's, it's, it's hard not to see the uniqueness of this situation between God and Moses. You can see that this is like ground zero for God's plan. God uses the situation between the Israelites and Egypt to prophetically introduce his future plan for Jesus and the reconciliation of a people who are not holy or set apart. They're lost in the culture, which, which really is at enmity with God. Uh, and so Moses goes to God right? He listens to God, and then he repeats what God says. The Israelites do the only thing they can do. They obey. Look at verse 4. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up, built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses strained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it all over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant of the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. There's a shift here in how Moses is conveying instructions. He he first went from repeating that which God said, which is simply hearing the voice of God and then repeating it to the people. Now he decides to write it down and he calls it the book of the covenant. Now, it's just good leadership, right? There, there was actually a recent article that PBS published that talks about writing things down uh, that we hear or taking notes. Uh, it said that, and, and I'm just going to quote from them here. It said, taking notes uh, uh, by hand forces the brain to engage in some heavy mental lifting, and these efforts foster comprehension and retention. Now, guys, we know all of this to be true, right? If you want to remember something, come on, you write it down. The covenant was important. It was a contract of sorts between God and Israel. <clears throat> it was entirely based on God's words and terms and not on our own words and terms. So before you think it sounds a little bit one-sided, it's interesting to note that just as much as what God was offering was non-negotiable, he didn't force it on them at all either. God has never forced his plan on anyone. Salvation is a gift that can be received or refused. That choice is yours. Also, this covenant is with everyone in the general sense and not an individual covenant. This means that the same rules apply to all. It furthers the idea that God holds all people to be equal in his sight. Some are not more special than others. The concept of discipleship is different between individuals, and I know that that's kind of how churches define I know that how churches define that is different and, and that's unfortunate, but how the Bible views discipleship it hadn't changed regardless of what men in their organizations accept or teach, right? And there are many that struggle to teach on holiness, which is obviously important because without it, we wouldn't have men like Moses that are able to hear the voice of God and convey it to, to the people correctly, right? Men like Moses are rare. Men that are set apart from the world and that are difficult to find these days, right? Even with all of our technological advancements, we're still no closer to God than many of the people from the Old Testament. 
But before I make this my soapbox, I'm just going to move on because that's an easy soapbox for me to, to jump on there. Look at verse 9. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone of which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so that you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Now, isn't it interesting that the Israelites are kind of given this glimpse of God, right? It obviously can't be his face, as we'll kind of later cover Exodus 33, where the Lord literally says, you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. Uh, yeah, that's terrifying, right? This has got to be more like the experience Isaiah had, where they see a part of God. For the Israelites, it was the bottom of his feet. It was such a small sliver of the Lord that their big takeaway was the beauty of the blue glass-like surface to which he stood upon. They received this event as a, as a monumental occasion and celebrated it with a meal. And I couldn't help be reminded of the beauty of this occasion and its, you know, its similarity to the New Testament church practices, right? Acts 2.42 records the ecclesia, the, the movement that Christ begun, right? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the sharing of a meal, including communion and to prayer, right? All of these attributes we can see on the mountain with Moses and Israel before the Lord. Like I said, this was always plan A. Jesus was always the answer, and he has always been the way. Also, there has been an, kind of an escalation of God's word, right? It went out verbally to Moses first, then Moses wrote it down second, and now God tells Moses that he will personally write it down on stone tablets, further solidifying the covenant. And I think this is really done so that there isn't any question about what God might have said, right? You might be able to question the motives and humanness of Moses, but when God writes it down, there's no question. You may choose to interpret what you want from it, but make no mistake, God wrote it, and it is the truth. And ultimately, how he interprets it is what's important. And that's why the search for biblical truth is so important. Knowing your Bible is important. Allowing your Bible to teach you and draw you closer to God is important. Remember the Pharisees and how Jesus described them. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There are always going to be some people that will try to manipulate what God has put in stone. Like the Pharisees, they will bend it to accommodate their lifestyle. You know what, let me, let, me, let me say that again. And if you're writing it, write this down if you're going to write anything down. There are always going to be some people that will try to manipulate, they will try to manipulate what God has put in stone. Like the Pharisees, they will bend it to accommodate their lifestyle. And guys, that's not an Old Testament thing. All right, this isn't a New Testament thing either. It's just a human depravity thing on full display. It's literally happening right now in Marble Falls. It's happening all across America. Nobody's exempt from this sort of behavior. And what we must do is what Israel did in this moment. We must be obedient to that which God is calling us to. And instead of God writing it on stone, we must allow God to write these things upon our hearts. Man, isn't it ironic that a stone and a heart can have so much in common? So let's, let's wrap this up. Verse 14 there. Moses told the elders, stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. 
If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So Moses leaves to approach God once more. But this time isn't like before. The silver of blue glass-like substance isn't the focal point. God has settled upon the mountain in a cloud like a consuming fire. Right? It's frightening. And people are happy that it's Moses that is going in rather than themselves, right? And Moses, he just he just walks right on in. How bold is that? How how, how terrifying is that? How come we all don't want to experience God like this? God didn't hurt Moses, and yet we can't help but fear God. We read, you know, through what he did to the Egyptians, right? Society's even made movies covering, you know, the vast supernatural force that's God. And yet, I still think God calls us to the cloud, right? It's it's like the cloud of mystery or the, the cloud of truth, the cloud of discovery, the cloud of relationship or the cloud of grace and forgiveness or the cloud of hope right and some are going to you know be daring enough to step in and some will just live in fear and never step in some will accept what god has to offer and obey his challenge to enter in right while others are going to stand back and either spend their time talking about the cloud or worse they'll leave it all together and and listen church i I want to challenge you to be a people who would be willing to enter into the cloud, enter into covenant with Jesus, accept forgiveness and grace and be born again and made new into his likeness, shed of your former self and your fears of all your mask and be able to walk upright and set apart and holy. Look at the man Moses. When a man is in relationship with God, he has favor with men. They respect the walk. They respect the talk. It is the man that is divided that is least respected, even though he may do good works. Moses was able to walk into the cloud because he practiced holiness. He practiced being set apart and consecrated for the work of the Lord. I need to wrap this up. Let's just close with these three things, right? First is this. Moses was not just a godly man. Do we hear that? Do we understand that, right? He was God's man. That's very distinctive. The Pharisees were godly men, but there were many of them that were simply not God's men. And you know, and that's an obvious scenario. Many times it's not so obvious. Many times it's hard to tell who is actually God's people. Jesus even confessed that there were some that were, that were going to be you know, heavily involved in good ministry that were going to inherit that were not going to inherit eternal life, right? And our response to this should be holy fear and reverence for the Lord. Like Moses, we must consecrate ourselves and set ourselves apart from the world. And today, this is harder than ever before. The church has popularized partnering with so many entities that aren't godly for the sake of good works and evangelism. But in doing so, they've also, whether they meant to or not, inadvertently told the world that they don't have to inwardly change. We nullified the idea of consecration 
and being a what Peter referred to as a peculiar people, right? And this shouldn't be you, okay? You should strive to become, as Paul described to the Romans, the image of Christ. As Christ was set apart, so should you. As he prayed, so should you. As he spoke only that which the Father told him to say and did what the Father told him to do, so should you. Secondly, when God speaks to you in prayer and devotion, you write it down. <laughs> Notice that I didn't say if you pray or have devotions, because if you're a born-again believer, prayer is a prerequisite. It's required. There is zero way you can be in a relationship with someone and not talk to them. If you don't make time to develop your relationships with the Lord and yet still attend church, sing songs, listen to the preaching, tithe, and even help with the works of the church, you can still miss out on the promises of God or worse yet, salvation. You have a fair chance of being those to whom Jesus talked about, the ones that meet Jesus at the judgment seat and boast of your attendance and works and then probably will be left with your mouth wide open when Jesus turns back to you and says he doesn't know you. So talk daily with Jesus. If you hear his voice speak, you write it down. When you sit down with your Bible to read about him in the effort to get to know him, take notes. The margins of your Bible should be filled with a Holy Spirit-filled insight. And lastly, the covenant is unmovable. You don't get to manipulate it into whatever you choose. You don't get to use grace to manipulate what God has asked of us. Yes, grace exists because we will fail. But it's supposed to be the catalyst to propel us to consecration, not the excuse we use to keep sinning. Will God still love you despite your sin? Obviously. The new covenant in Christ is offered to you until you die. It is the reason that God is holding off the end times. He's waiting for you to take this walk seriously. To put away, as the Bible says, your childish ways. He isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should know Christ and receive the gift of salvation. And this is the glory of teaching through the scripture rather than just preaching topical. We're able to address and cover things in a way that's unique. God's design of the Bible, his story right, is told in a way that reveals his consistency of character and the constancy of his message. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we can see it all. And God's glory is still being told today through many of you. And yet God is still holding out for those that are sitting on the fence. He's holding out for those that are playing church today. He's holding out for those who are his blatant enemies. Oh, if this ain't the testimony of grace. He's holding out for those who are just plain ignorant of the truth and are waiting, like I once was, and like you once were, to be told of this powerful truth. Can we just pray together this morning and just prepare our hearts for worship? Amen.